Hey, welcome to episode 12 of Out on a Limb. I'm Alyssa, and I'm a certified orthotist and board-eligible prosthetist. And I'm Alina. I'm also a certified orthotist and board-eligible prosthetist. We started Out on a Limb to bring the world of orthotics and prosthetics to everyone and share our passions. Stay tuned to learn about the ins and outs of small side of the medical field and everything we do as practitioners. This episode, we have Alicia Antonio to talk with us about her experiences as a mother of a child with disabilities. Her daughter, Viva, has been diagnosed with bilateral clubfoot, a tethered spinal cord, and hemivertebrae. We discuss all of these in detail during this episode, but if you would like to know more information about clubfoot, listen to episode 10 with Scott Davidson. So today we are talking with Alicia. Um, She is the mom of one of our coworker, Mark's patients. And so she kind of has a little bit of a different perspective of kind of that parent seeing her kid go through having to wear orthotics for most of her life. We'll talk all about that. So Alicia, why don't you do just a little intro, kind of give a little bit of background so everyone kind of knows who you are. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks ladies for having me on your show. It's very exciting to be here. Uh, I'm Alicia Antonio. And, uh, (laughs) If you don't understand anything because of my accent, please stop me because, you know, I am Australian and sometimes people (laughs) let me go on and they're like, I have no idea what she just said. So uh, (laughs) have at it if you're confused. Um, Okay. A little bit about me personally. Uh, I basically, I've been living in Los Angeles since 2009. Uh, I'm an actor. So I originally moved here for that reason. Uh, I've kind of segued recently in the last few years to writing, which actually a, you know, a big driving factor of that was uh, Viva's diagnosis, you know, knowing that I was going to have to be her primary carer. I wanted the ability to kind of still work from home, but, you know, knowing that we're going to have a lot of hospital visits, I needed to be a lot more flexible. I didn't need to be running across town to an audition. So, right. uh, yeah, so that was a big part of the reason for the segue for me. Um, what else? My husband's a life coach. You know, I, we used to do events in Hollywood, like, you know, my whole life's here essentially, but, uh, we did actually go back to Australia to have Viva, which I'm sure we'll probably dig into a little bit with, you know, your question. Oh, yeah. 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 Definitely. So you mentioned that she, um, was diagnosed with something and, uh, in the book and then other things you mentioned, she was diagnosed with club foot and then a few mm-hmm. other do you mind kind of going into a little bit more detail yeah. about when she was first diagnosed? When mm-hmm. did you- yeah, absolutely. So um, she was diagnosed at the 20 week scan when I was pregnant. So, okay. um, you know, everything was good at 13 weeks. You know, I did all the blood work and whatnot. Uh, at 20 weeks, we did the scan. And I remember actually lying there and looking at it and I'm like, I think there's something wrong with her feet. Like, and I, I, I could, I could just sort of pick it up. You could um, see it. Yeah. Like in and, the, oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just mother's intuition or what, but like, I just remember really strongly being like, that doesn't look right. Um, and I'd never seen an ultrasound before, so I don't really know why I thought that, but, um, yeah. So the doctor came in, that was a very, very difficult day for us, obviously. Um, just because as a parent, you know, when you get a diagnosis of any kind, it's like, you don't know what that means, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's really always just fear of the unknowns and like what that will mean for your child and quality of life and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So essentially at that time they were able to diagnose her club feet. They said she had bilateral club feet. Um, But they also saw that there was something wrong with her spine and they didn't know what it was. And so I feel like at that time, that's more of what was the issue for us is like, they're like, well, there's something with the spine, but we don't know what it is. I'm like, okay. 
Um, yeah. And again, that was just very emotional because at that time the doctor essentially was like, uh, you know, you have to think about terminating. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. So and this was and, back in Australia, correct? No, they, no, this was here. So, okay. so this was, okay. yeah. So this was here at the 20 week scan. Um, and we're like, but didn't you just say that club feet was completely treatable and, you know, correctable right, and that right. you have a quality of life? And they're like, yes, but, you know, the issue is that we see club feet and something with the spine. Again, we don't know what it is, so we can't tell you how um, bad that is. But essentially, then he went on to insinuate that, you know, when they see more than two midline defects, they assume that there's more. So, mm-hmm. um, so he basically kind of went on to insinuate that maybe she might be mentally slow, um, oh. Oh, wow. which I thought was like a very interesting leap to make and I sort of get why they do it but he's like well you know you just don't know what's going to be going on are they just trying to like lay it all out there for you just sort of kind of prepare you for every scenario I think I think so I found it like I said we both found it really really confronting and particularly they they like usher you out the back door because you're one of the parents with bad news so you can't go crying you know what I mean so I was like oh dude come on um but yeah like um yeah I don't know when and when I spoke to doctors later about you know what we'd been told initially they're like really they told you to terminate I'm like yeah I don't really know why and they're like we would never have told you to you know what I mean and I and like I said I feel like it was more maybe a liability protection or I don't know or them just trying to lay it out but he's like well because if you're going to terminate like you're 20 weeks along so we need to know ASAP and I'm like oh wow yeah so I was like why would I do that like I just you know we don't all we know is that she has feet that are correctable mm-hmm. and there's something wrong with her spine, but you don't know what it is and you don't know if she's going to be slow. And in fact, you know, our daughter is brilliant. Like she taught herself to read it too. Like she is the smartest kid. <laughs> so they were completely wrong on that front. Um, so yeah, so that was the initial prognosis is that we, we just didn't, it was definitely club feet and something with the spine, but we didn't know what else. And essentially what it came out to is um, she had a tethered cord, um, which is probably what caused the club feet. Um, she also has a hemivertebra. So in her lower spine where she should have, um, four, uh, five vertebrae, she only has four. And one of them is like, um, shaped kind of like a, a wedge. And so it's, she's got kyphosis and, um, scoliosis. So it's going out and to the side. Um, so she will have to have that removed at some point. And then she has some related stuff. So she has a lot of GI issues. Um, She has a duplicating system in one of her kidneys. So like, so we see, you know, a lot of specialists, but she's awesome. And those (laughs) basically all originating from that tethered cord. Yeah, we we think. Well, essentially, because a lot of the problems are are below that. So everything else. So that makes sense. And then the, those diagnosis, the tethered cord and everything happened after she was born then. So really just. Yeah. So the, so the tethered cord, uh, so, I mean, I was managed pretty, um, closely. Like I said, we then ended up going back to Australia because once we knew that she had health problems, um, it just made more sense because, you know, financially we were getting hit left and right with all the extra things. Like even just from that particular office, I had three of the same ultrasounds after that. And like, they were different prices, which I never really understood. I'm like, it's the same provider. It's the same thing. And I'm like, one's like 700, one's 200. Like it was just, it just seemed to be like throwing a price at the wall and seeing what would stick. Um, okay. Whereas in Australia, you know, we have kind of universal healthcare. My family's all there. Um, so, you know, I went home and I never saw a bill. And so that was a decision that we had made to go and have her there. And obviously we ended up coming back 
later, but um, yeah, it just seemed like the right decision at the time. So um, I was managed by maternal fetal medicine and, you know, was getting a lot of regular scans and checkups and stuff. I ended up having an MRI while I was pregnant because they were trying to figure out what was going on at one point actually. Um, and, you know, and maybe you ladies have, you know, have treated some patients with this, but they thought she might uh, have sacroiligenesis or um, caudal regression syndrome, you know, and at which point they're like, don't Google that. And of course I did, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause, cause in my mind, like I just, as a parent, you want to be prepared. You, you know want to I mean? know. Yeah. 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 I'm like, look, I can face anything with her, but like, just give me, you know, the lowdown and, and what that's right right kind so, of get you yeah so the situation yeah. yeah so a lot of it before she was born aside from the feet was very like we don't know what it is and then she right. had an ultrasound on her spine um the next day after she was born and that's when they were able to diagnose the tethered cord and then she had an mri um i think when she was not her first mri was at nine days old so wow yeah. so with her being di- diagnosed you know, before she was born and then continuing to get more diagnosis within, you know, the first week or two of being born, what were your guys's biggest concerns when you guys were finding out all this news after news after news and how has that changed over the years? Well, I think, you know, I think I touched on it earlier. I think the biggest thing for any parent with a child with special needs, whatever that is, is, is the unknowns and the quality of life. So, um, with the feet thing, obviously, when they mentioned that, obviously, we immediately thought, okay, well, is she going to walk? Because we didn't know a lot about clubfoot. It's not, and you guys would probably know, it's it's a fairly genetic trait, and you quite often see it in families and stuff, and we didn't have that in our family, so it wasn't something we're familiar with. Um, so, you know, the questions for us were like, okay, is she going to have lifelong pain, like surgery, right. like what level of care is she going to need that's going to impact her quality of life? Um, I think that was really the biggest thing for us over time it's evolved in the sense that you know it's just normal for us now like you know we go to children's hospital and everyone knows us you know my daughter's <laughs> a bit of a rock star and my husband she certainly gets it from him so you know everyone at the front <laughs> counter knows her you know everyone in the orthopedic department knows her you know we go to radiology and they know it like you know so it's just like it's our second home really so you become a lot more comfortable particularly when you have really quality providers like Viva's specialists are amazing you know what I mean like she has something like seven or eight different specialists and doctors PTs surgeons right, that right. she sees you know and how old was she when you guys decided to come back to the states she was she was just under five months old yeah so we came back because I mean like our business is here and stuff like that like we were able to take some time out but you know, not for too long. So we decided to come back and, you know, and we're very lucky too to be in California because once she's born, like she's now covered, you know, by Medi-Cal and CCS and things like that. But, you know, before that it was kind of all on us and we were self-employed and it was going to sink us financially. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, but also too, you know, the big thing also was just having family. Like my family's not here my husband's family's on the East coast. So suddenly, you know, we had all these unknowns and just no real support network. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You mentioned that she went through a lot of different like treatments and things like that. What would you say was probably the most difficult treatment to set, see her go through? I mean, you mentioned she had spinal things, she had club mm-hmm. foot and a lot of those things, it sounded like she was kind of being dealt with or treated with after she was born. Mm-hmm. Did she have yeah, life? so essentially mm-hmm. the club foot we corrected in Australia. You know, we did the mm-hmm. um, Pontetti method. So, you know, she had the cast, she had the tenotomy at right. three months old. Um, she wore the Pontetti braces for years. We didn't end up doing the full program 
the problem is because she's more medically complex than say a straightforward clubfoot kid. Um, you know, I noticed that wearing the braces at night and putting her in that position was putting a lot of pressure on her knees, um, you know, twisting her spine, things like that. So it's, yeah. So it's kind of with her treatment is kind of hit and miss in the sense that you treat one thing and it might put something else out. So yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, shooting fish and hoping sure something sticks, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So, uh, so we kind of just go with the flow and adjust it as needed. So she probably wore her Ponsettis, I'd say probably till about three and change, not the full five years, but you know, her orthopedic surgeon for her feet was very happy with how they were corrected and whatnot. So, and then we've continued that with AFOs, as you said, Mark uh, takes care of Eva. He does an amazing job. He's made I don't know how many braces for her. Yeah, Mark is great. <laughs> yeah, he's, she's had a bunch. So, um, so she's had AFOs pretty much most of the time since she's been out of. Basically, we made the switch from doing nighttime Ponsetti to um, having AFOs during the day to making sure she was still getting that support. Recently, just before the pandemic, we switched to um, the just the very the ankle one, the smaller one. In the SMOs. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Oh. SMOs. Yeah. So we had switched to that or we had made the appointment, then coronavirus hit. So then we couldn't come into the hospital to even get Mark to do the measurements. Right. So we finally did it, got him back. And then we went in to see, you know, her orthopedic surgeon. And by then basically Viva's had a really bad regression in the last six months, the inability to go to school, run around with kids, play rounds of clothes. You know, she's like I mentioned, she's quite smart and aware. So she knows about coronavirus. So she doesn't like to go outside. So she's not anywhere near as mobile as she was. She was getting uh, PT twice weekly before all this. Mm-hmm. So none of that's happening. So now, um, her feet have regressed quite badly. Her left one in particular is turning in again, rolling, collapsing on her feet when she walks. Um, so we just had an MRI actually to see if her cord had retethered because she had had a cord detethering surgery in uh, 2018. Okay. Um, yeah. So it doesn't look like it's retethered. So now we have to do a full gait study to figure out the best way to kind of attack her feet now that she's just not as mobile essentially. And actually talking to a lot of her doctors and PTs and stuff like that, they've said, at this point in time, like a lot of special needs kids um, and kids with disabilities are just regressing because yeah. they're not getting access to the services that they need. So I think that's been hard. I just realized I've never answered your original question. Which is, <laughs> it's okay. I get back there eventually, uh, which was what's been the hardest. Um, the bracing wasn't too bad. She tolerated that pretty well. Going, going out of generals, general anesthesia is pretty tough. Um, she used to be really good at it. And then when she had her, um, spinal cord detethering, Mm -hmm. she woke up really, really badly from it. And so in recovery, she just lost her mind, had a full like panic attack. She was kicking her legs after just having a spinal surgery. Like she was literally trying to sit up. So me and her dad had to, yeah. So we had to physically restrain her for an hour, which was just devastating for us. And also too, because I think it's set off some medical anxiety for her. So now whenever we have to go to a visit where we have to do like a medical restraint for bloods or, you know, whatever. She gets nervous. All parents. Yeah. Not even nervous. Nervous. It's like a red line. Like you just see her immediately panic. So that's really difficult to manage. That's been pretty rough. So, and even, you know, having MRIs every year, she has to go under a general. So now like the last one, I made sure they woke her up gently and it was a lot easier. But the one before that, she had a full blown panic attack too. And I actually had to check her out um, before they could even 
get her blood pressure down or anything because she just keeps going up and up and you know until I remove her from the situation so they're like we can't sign her out I'm like if you don't sign her out she'll probably code because she's just like she's just freaking out you know so right um yeah so that that's been really tough and I think any parents of, of kids who have a lot of medical visits would probably have some sort of story of the point in time where their kid kind of just got over it right you know? yeah. yeah yeah so you mentioned her you know being put under gen- general anesthesia how many surgeries and how old was she when she had those surgeries has she had well, she's only had two so far. So she had uh, the tenotomy, which is, you know, for her ankle, the ankle release. So that was just a local, um, you know, they didn't put her under for that. Um, that was when she was three months old. Then she was, uh, it was just before her third birthday when she had uh, the cord release. Um, she has to have at least one more surgery because they have to remove that wayward vertebra um, and infuse her spine. Um, but they're trying to let that go at this point because it's pretty stable, but it, it just needs to be addressed before she hits puberty and has a growth spurt because it will create problems for her. So there's at least one more. But again, you know, if her cord retethers, which, you know, there's a really strong possibility that will, I think something like nine out of 10 cords retether. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just has to be monitored until she's like 17 or 18. Basically, once she stops growing, it's not so much of an issue if it retethers, but, you know. Oh, okay. If it atta- if it reattaches and she keeps growing and puts pressure on that nerve, then that's obviously when she starts to lose function and anything she loses below that she doesn't gain back. So that's that's something that we're monitoring pretty closely. And then obviously now the regression with her feet, with the club feet, you know, because of the lack of activity is, you know, something that needs to be looked at. And I don't know whether that will involve a surgery or not at some point. Right, right. Ideally not, as I'm sure yeah. you guys know. Yeah. Fingers yes. crossed. Obviously, yeah. the last surgery and if it can be managed with bracing and PT. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I know um, just because obviously we work in the field and stuff, we've had a few conversations with parents and stuff. Yeah. It's been tough. It has been in it because it just yeah. kind of got sprung on everybody. And all of a sudden, yeah. we were getting PT every week. Yeah. Are not yeah, I mean, it. no. And yeah. she and she refuses to do it over Zoom. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like even just getting her to do Zoom school has taken a lot of work like because she started kindergarten this year so you know like she's yeah so she's having to her entry into the big school world is this lovely virtual Virtual. world of (laughs) of class yeah so that's in and of itself is a is a whole thing but not a fan of virtual learning (laughs) not at all that's fine it must be so hard for kids to sit and stare at a screen Oh, look, yeah. I'm an adult and I hate it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's only so much Zoom I can take and then I'm like, I'm done, you know. And she's 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 um she gets sensory overwhelmed too, you know, like mm-hmm. she's a pretty sensitive person. So just like hearing all the other kids talk like she just it just no, yeah. it's not good. It's yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So pre-COVID, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you guys were going to all the physical therapy, all of her appointments, mm-hmm. um, for her GI, for everything, when would, did that kind of start? Because you said, oh, it's, it's normal now. It just mm-hmm. is what it is. Um, when did that start feeling normal? Or did it kind of just always feel that way because it's been since the beginning? Yeah. You know, I, I would say, I think because she's our firstborn and she's our only child at the moment, you know, I think because we didn't have an experience of a quote unquote normal birth and child mm-hmm. experience, um, I think it's just always been normal. Yeah. Like we don't know any different. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I think it's, I think it's harder in some ways. And, and interestingly, actually, um, some friends of ours, their second child ended up having spina bifida. And so he has a lot of similar 
um, challenges to Viva, you know. So, and I remember because I'd been, because uh, Viva and their oldest child are about the same age, you know, and I remember because we had been at a birthday party and they, I could see they noticed her spine, you know, and like how she wasn't necessarily physically keeping up with some of the other kids and and I could see them kind of questioning it I'm like okay well you know here's what's going on so we had this really great conversation at the time about you know what she was facing and blah 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 and so you know next time we saw them they came up to me and they're like so uh so our son has spinal bifida and basically <laughs> it's crazy because we had that whole chat about spinal stuff and we had no idea about it and now we've you know our son's right. dealing with this so um so that was really interesting actually then that they were like okay now we need to know more about this you know because they were going down that path which was kind of cool actually to be able to be that for someone else because we certainly really didn't have that you know in terms of anyone that we knew that I could lean on per se it was all just you know Dr. Google yeah. right <laughs> yeah not a lot of people you knew with that sort yeah. of situation yeah mm-hmm. that's fair so you mentioned that she does have orthotic devices um mm-hmm. she's transitioning into a new pair or was transitioning mm-hmm. into a new style so right now is she using any is she using the traditional afo no well because um because we had just you know because we had realized and decided that the smos would be a better option for her and she felt more comfortable in them and it was that time when covid hit so we had to wait and then we got them done but then she in, in like the space of a two month period by the time that we were able to get them they came back in we got to see the doctor her feet had regressed so much that she's just oh. like mm, and really not appropriate now right. um yeah. you know because her feet have changed so she's like you can wear them but they're not really going to do very much she's like we have to figure out you know what's going on but like i said it's taken all this time now because she's like the first thing we have to do is rule out the cord retethering mm-hmm. um because that's the first thing we always think of um and we obviously think we've ruled that out now but again because of the pandemic it's like it took forever to get the radiology apartment like there's just you know and I think a lot of people don't realize what it's doing to these kids and 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 adults too you know anyone that's got sort of you know a chronic or lifelong condition that they're trying to manage is just really hard right now because you know it's it's hard to get in and be seen and how safe is it and some people have other you know immune compromised in other ways and don't want to go or whatever. So it's just, it's, it's creating this, I think this whole wave of hidden problems for people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, So, yeah. So, so the answer, I guess, is I don't, I don't know. We have to get this gate gate study done now to kind of figure out what what the next step is. End up. Okay. Yeah. So for those who are listening, who don't know, um, the AFOs are, you know, kind of those like braces goes just below the knee Mm -hmm. foot kind of supports her ankle and the SMOs, that you guys were trying to transition her to just go just above the ankle, kind of support that ankle. Can mm-hmm. you kind of explain specific for Viva um, mm-hmm. what the difference of those two and how they help her? Sure. Well, initially, I mean, the AFOs were great. The problem is because of her spinal stuff, she's always kind of stood in like a skier stance. Mm-hmm. Um, so her knees are kind of slightly over her feet. Um so it got to the point, especially if she was getting older in school and trying to run around and stuff that they were just pretty clunky for her and putting a lot of pressure on her knees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she would then have to be wearing bigger size shoes to accommodate the air, you know, right. so it was like, so she was tripping a lot, which is fine. But um, it, I think it was just causing a lot of knee pain for her. And we realized that if, you know, if we could get a good ankle one to support 
that issue in the feet and get, you know, get like a good kind of basketball sneaker to give her a lot of support, then that would give her a lot like the support, but also the freedom to kind of run around at mm-hmm. school. Right. Um, and with the PT, hopefully kind of correct that posture and, and strengthen up her glutes and things like that. But again, that kind of just <laughs> went all out the window. Right. Yeah. Now she's just sitting in a room all day long. It's, it's, absolutely, <laughs> it's absolutely great for her. <laughs> She's doing well, did a whole lot of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how has it been watching Viva go through life wearing these braces? Like, does she enjoy wearing the braces? Does she realize that they help her or does she not like them at all? Because I've had a few patients always taking off their braces and not wanting to wear Especially them. Especially the little ones when yeah. they're being compared to other little kids. You know... It was def. I think I feel like it was definitely easier earlier on. You know, when she was younger, she was a lot more compliant. And again, it was normal for her, and she didn't know, and she was getting ponced every night. So once she, you know, she was in that habit, it was cool. Definitely, the issue and the transition has been going to preschool. You know, and she's in kinder this year, but um, she started to notice her differences obviously then, which was around like three going into four. Um, and that started to become the problem. Like, I don't want to wear it. But also, too, she became more cognizant of the pain or at least more willing to communicate it or able to communicate it to me. And she's like, oh, these hurt. I don't like it. And, yeah, of course, it hurts because it's correcting her, you know what I mean, which right, is going right. to stretch different muscles and whatnot. Um, so it, it's definitely a battle more so these days than it used to be for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't love them. But then, you know we were just talking the other day because her feet are rolling so much. I'm like, look, dude, I think I just have to put you back in them until we can figure this out. And she's like, okay. So <laughs> that, that's a battle I'm fighting this week. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Back in them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's tough. I think, you know, and I don't know, obviously, but I think as she gets older and a lot more aware about and able to take some control of her own health journey, then that becomes decisions she can make on her own too. You know what I mean? Like, right. Um, because it becomes a personal choice and, and she'll understand the consequences either way. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. She's still a little young. Yeah. But you know, like smart, she's a smart kiddo. kiddo. <laughs> oh no, she's, she's whip smart, you know, but I think too, like, cause something we didn't mention, but she had uh she had a walker. So she only learned to walk um, because she got like a little walking frame. She looked Aww. like a cute little old lady. It was very sweet. Um, <laughs> but you know, because just with the approvals process and whatever, it took a long time for her to get that equipment. And so she didn't get it until she was like, 22 months old and that's so that's when she started walking right before she turned two and because she got that walker um you know I think for us as parents kind of sort of like your question before about normal versus not normal I think that was the point in time where we started to realize that it wasn't a normal journey so to speak you know because we'd see our friends with kids who were the same age or younger like running around and tearing around and she could really only sit there you know Mm -hmm. right Um, Mm -hmm. and she she didn't really crawl all them at at, she kind of just dragged herself around commando style and then you know started walking just before two but then two months after she turned two she started reading and she taught herself you know and so I think I yeah. And so I've always kind of said that I feel like a lot of that brain power or that kinetic energy that toddlers have, she couldn't really put it anywhere. And so I feel like she just kind of sent it up instead of down. And I always made sure that she had <laughs> toys and books and stuff. So that at least wherever she was, she was very fulfilled, you know, yeah, with sensory stimulated. stuff. Yeah, yeah. She was very stimulated no mm-hmm. matter what. And, and so, she, you know, she just, she created a rich inner world and, you know, it's thriving now. 
Good. (laughs) Yeah. We wanted to kind of talk to you, which is the whole reason why, I mean, Mark introduced us to the book and everything Mm -hmm. like that is you wrote this book called I Run Fast, You Run Faster. And it is a great book. Thank you. We both read it. I've already pushed it out to some of my other friends who like in different parts of the healthcare field. It's, It's very, very educational and all of those things. But could you tell us a little bit about the book? Where did you come up with the idea for writing the book? And Mm -hmm. um, was it always going to be a book? Just sort of give us a little bit of background because it is very educational and kind of important to have at this day and age. Thank you. Um, Yeah, look, no, it wasn't always going to be a book. And in fact, it was Mm -hmm. born, you guys kind of touched on it. It was born out of that idea of when I noticed other kids noticing that Viva was different, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause she's got a really strong sense of self and we've always tried to instill that in her, but we knew that at some point kids would start asking questions, staring, right, you know, right. and, you know, because of her GI issues too, you know, she still sometimes has to wear pull-ups and, you know, she's got mm-hmm. the braces. And so I'm like, Oh, this is just going to be a conversation somewhere down the line. Right. And so, yeah, like I said, around that point when she was sort of had just turned four, some of the older kids, um, or the older siblings of kids in her preschool will be like, why can't she walk? You know, why is she still in a stroller? You know, what's wrong with her leg? Like, and just like incessant questioning. And look, I'm not mad about it. Like that's natural, I think, for kids to ask. Right, right. And so when I noticed that happening and then, you know, I could see that Viva started to get like defensive and and I did get a little bit mad, I'm not gonna lie, because like I'd see <laughs> yeah. in the school I'd see in the schoolyard, like they'd play like chasey or whatever you know like you're mm-hmm. it kind of thing and viva was always it because they knew she couldn't catch him Aww. you know and i'm just like oh, like that that broke my heart as a parent you know yeah and i but i could see her her um her sense of pride kind of go up and and she's like no no i got him and she'd always be giggling and laughing but i could kind of see that sadness underneath i'm like okay well now we have to have a talk so you know i sat her down i said look v you know i know that it's becoming obvious that you know, the kids are faster. It's hard for you to catch them. You know, your feet are a little bit different. You know, do you want my help to kind of come up with some things to say when people ask you these questions that I've noticed they've started asking? Because I'm not always going to be there to, you know, stand in and step up for you and kind of answer those things. And she's like, no, I don't really feel like I want to talk about it. And I said, okay, so you don't feel confident having those conversations? She said, no. I said, okay, well, what about if I created like a little booklet, you know, because at that point I'd kind of, you know, published some books. So I'm like, well, what if I create like a little booklet and I'll just print it up and <laughs> laminate it and give it to the teachers and they can read it in class. And then the conversation's been had, you know what I mean? Right. And so, right. and then at that point, once it's open, they can ask some questions and just you could see the relief on her face. And she's like, Oh, that would be great. Mom. I'm like, okay. So I literally, it originally was just like a PowerPoint presentation. I oh, like, yeah, so, just to kind you of- know? Yeah. So I just put some pictures of her in there. I'm like, Hey, my name is Viva. You know, this is what I have. You know, these are the things you can't see as you'll see in the book. You know, I put a copy of her x-ray in there, you know, like just trying to explain in really simple terms for kids, like how Viva is different, but also highlighting her strengths too. And that's a way we've always kind of approached it with her is like, yes, you have challenges, but you have strengths and, and mm-hmm. they kind right. of balance each other out. And that is true for everybody. And you, you know, you have something that people can see and other people have things that you can't see and you don't know right. that they're dealing with, you know, and we always try to point out like dad has asthma and he can't breathe great sometimes. And mom has narcolepsy and I can't wake up, you know, so, so that she can kind of, so she doesn't feel so alone. And so we did that book. I put it together and just literally 
was, it cost me like $40 to laminate it or something. Cause I was just like, <laughs> couldn't find somewhere. And I was just like, Oh, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's okay here. Uh, but I took it in and, and, you know, I gave it to the teacher. I'm like, Hey, I did this, you know, you can read it in class, blah, blah, blah. When I went back that afternoon to pick her up, the teachers were all in tears and they're like hugging me. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, we read the book today. And they're like, and we could see that Viva was just so happy and she was smiling oh and confident. God. And the kids were all really interested and they asked questions. And they were like, and honestly, they're like, this is the best book on disability that we've ever read. You know, because obviously with schools too, I guess they're mandated to do like disability units or whatever, yeah, you know, and educate kids uh-huh. or whatever. And she's like, and so we get all, she was like, we get all these books and they're terrible. And she's like, and this was really great you know, you should publish it. I'm like, Oh, I didn't really intend to. It was more of a, just, it was more of a personal tool to kind of help Viva get by, you know, Right. they were just so adamant. And then, so I was, so I was like, okay. So then I sent it to some of her doctors at CHLA and I'm like, Oh, I, you know, I wrote this. What do you think? And they were all like, this is amazing. I was like, <laughs> when I read it. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I gotta publish it. Then. <laughs> so, uh, so I reworked it. You know, I didn't want to make it obviously I use Viva as the tool to tell the story, but, um, you know, I just, I thought about me as a parent of a child with a disability and what I want the world to know. And also what I would think I would want to know as a parent trying to educate my own child about how to have these conversations in a sensitive way. And also for teachers, I mean, it can be a hard topic for people to discuss because they just don't know. Um, so, you know, so aside from talking just about Viva's issues, you'll see, I, you know, I branched out and tried to include some things, you know, like autism and, you know, kids with glasses and kids with skin condition, you know, I was trying to just be like, there's, you know, we, we, we all show up in different ways and and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in the book, you also highlight, you know, even though these people have these differences, they also have their strengths, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned before. And I think that's yeah, And I think that's true of everyone, you know, because like I said, a lot we may not all have a physical disability or a disability in a true sense, but we all have something we're dealing with. You know what I mean? And, right. and when it, yeah. and when it comes to our health, I mean, no one gets through scot-free, you know, at some point yeah. we're dealing with something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whether it's diabetes or, you know, asthma, all this, there's so many things. And, and just in Viva's case, it's like, okay, it was a parent at birth. It's physical, it's lifelong, blah, blah, blah. But you know, we all get something. And so I really just wanted to reiterate that and help kids to understand that like, yep, you know what, maybe you will deal with something. It's totally okay. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to ask people about what they're going through as long as you do it, you know, in a sensitive way, because some, some people aren't going to be open to having those conversations. You know what I mean? But I think that you'll find a lot of them really are and feel relieved, you know, when someone does too, because then I, I, I also looked at it from the perspective of, you know, like for example, there's a girl that for a while was doing PT at the same time as Viva. And I, I, I don't know what her personal, you know, health challenges are, but, um, she basically was missing like part of her jaw, you know? Mm -hmm. So she had a very noticeable, obviously facial disability and Viva didn't treat her any differently. You know what I mean? She's just like, Hey, you know, and they'd play together and stuff. And it was just so interesting to watch her and kind of, I guess her, her, the way her experiences then translate into how she dealt with someone else dealing with something, you know, another disability, which I thought was really cool. And I could also then see, you know, the girl on her mother's relief, like, oh, she, the kid just wants to play with her because that it can be very exclusionary, obviously when you have an obviously physical disability, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And you mentioned having those, you know, sensitive conversations Mm -hmm. and at the end of the book, you have a sensitivity guide. Was Mm -hmm. that something that 
you kind of made on your own or did you have references for that? How did you come across that? Yeah, no, that's, that's something I developed on my own. And again, that really was born out of the conversation I'd have with her teacher who was like, this disability book is great. Like everything right. we get is kind of not super helpful. So I'm like, okay, well, what is it that, you know, maybe teachers kind of need a, a starting point too, because I think with anything, until you know, you don't know, you know what I mean? You exactly. haven't gone, gone yeah. through something, you don't even know where to start. And I certainly wouldn't have known how to do this before I had Viva. Yeah. So I just really leaned into that experience and said, okay, what didn't I know that now I know that I would want to impart to someone else, you know, what, based on what the teachers said, what are they looking for? And I was really just trying to meet all those things. And like I said, you know, I know that um, at Children's where Viva sees a couple of authors over there, you know, I know they've got a stack of books that they hand out and they're like, this is great because, you know, it's great for them to give it to families. Obviously as a tool is like, Hey, like, you know, use this as a guideline to how you can communicate to your schools right. and stuff, you know, to help your kid really have those conversations. Mm -hmm. In the book, you have a very well-tempered response. It's very um, well thought out. Yeah, organized. well thought out, organized. <laughs> but then you even mentioned as a parent, sometimes you were a little frustrated by, you know, kids' comments or reactions to things and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. How did your response to parents and kids seeing FIVA's like physical um disabilities and things like that change over time the fact that she is embraces she has all these different things how did your response change I mean obviously you have the book now but I mean I think I think just experience you know and wisdom with with time kind of comes wisdom I think in some ways you know and I was listening mm -hmm. actually to one of your earlier podcasts I think it was was it Scott Scott Davidson oh, yeah he also yeah, yeah. has club foot yeah, yeah yeah so that was I really enjoyed that and and he brought mm -hmm. that up too you know like that even as a 40 year old man like people are still gonna stare because they don't yeah, right they just yeah. they just don't understand it and can't reconcile it and and like I said I understand that too I mean I remember being a kid and seeing some things that shocked me and you can't help but look it's human nature I understand right. that and I and I you know I try to bear that in mind I mean it's really only when when things get really cruel that I you know, obviously as a parent, you're not going to exactly. tolerate it when it's cruel, but I'm like, okay, I genuinely believe that 99% of the time, you know, kids don't mean anything hurtful by it, but they don't know the impact those words can have. So I'm like, okay, well, I think we should encourage them, you know, and especially, mm -hmm. I guess, to answer that question more succinctly, how did my opinion change over the time? Well, Viva got older. And so, you know, I, I witnessed her curiosity about other things. I'm like, okay, I'm not trying to stifle that curiosity but we need to temper it with creating a safe space for everyone you know and right. it's still, look at the end of the day you're still never going to get it right 100 percent of the time um mm -hmm. but you have to try i think so yeah that's a good yeah. point <laughs> yeah and now that viva is getting older and she's you know very talkative very smart mm -hmm. um have you had these conversations of what she should say if kids start, you know, asking her questions directly or have you, know, you had that conversation? Yeah. Aside from that first one that I'd had with her in preschool, no, because, you know, we'd had that conversation and then it was all the kids that knew about her stuff. So it wasn't really an issue. I knew right. that that was going to be a conversation as we transition into kindergarten, but now it's virtual. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so no, one, no one really knows as per yet. So like I said, I try to be really open about it around her. I obviously always try to be mindful of the information she wants kept private. So I do always ask her to like, you know, because it's, it's her life. It's not mine. So yeah. I always 
question and make sure that what I share is okay with her. Mm -hmm. Um, and genuinely, generally she prefers it because she'd rather I sort of tell people than her. But yeah, no, we haven't really had to cross that bridge now that she's older just because she's not in school, but it will, once she goes back to in-person learning, it will be definitely a conversation for sure. Yeah. Makes sense that over virtual, it's very different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and, and again, I try to be super sensitive because, you know, she did actually in the past week really for the first time express frustration with her disability. Um, you know, and she kind of just sat down and was really angry and said, I'm just, I was very impressed though that she was able to articulate it. Uh, but you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. she sat down and she said, mom, I'm just frustrated and angry and sad that I'm different. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, yeah. yeah, you know, like, you know, these conversations are coming as a parent, but it's really hard to prepare for it. Yeah. Right. As she's starting to really understand. And like you said, yeah. she is already getting to that point where she's starting to understand those differences. And yeah, because she tries to overcompensate, which I think is probably normal, but she's like, look how fast I'm running. You know what I mean? Right. And that was kind of the, the idea behind this title of I run fast, you run fast. I'm like, yeah, B, you do run fast, but mm-hmm. you know, other kids do run faster and you've noticed that. And that's just, you were born different. It's nothing on you. Like there's nothing you can really do about that. You know, and again, something we always kind of fall back on into is like, okay, well you were born with your feet being a little bit slower, but you know, your brain works a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. So it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So like we mentioned, the book is amazing. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about where they can buy it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's available predominantly on Amazon. So if you look up me, Alicia Antonio, I run fast, you run faster, you'll find it there. Um, it's available on Kindle too, um, not just hard copy. You can also, if you just have a local bookstore that you kind of want to support during the pandemic, you can order it through them too. You can follow me on Instagram as well at Alicia Antonio books. So that's a good way to kind of keep up to date with me. I am going to be launching a new website soon um, with some more information and I'm, you know, writing some more books and whatnot. So that's probably a good way to stay in contact. We'll definitely post links um, to her book and her social media and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, slightly different question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) in your bio or thing we were reading about it, it says that you are also an inventor. Can you <laughs> yep. something fun of what you've invented? Yeah. You know, I can't because of NDAs, but oh, um, okay. yeah, <laughs> basically I've got, I think it's six at the moment. I have six inventions that are sort of being looked at for possible development. So mm, very I'm, cool. That's exciting. Thank you. It is. I mean, it may or may not go anywhere, but I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm very much like an ideas person. So I'm always kind of like, how can I create, you know, books or things or whatever. Like I also, right. I have a, sh- I have a shoe line as well. You know, <laughs> Yeah. We saw is, that as well. Which I, which I think is ironic really thinking about that. I'm talking about my daughter's disability. And stuff, so <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll have to get into adaptive shoes at some yeah. point. But, yeah. Yes. Um, very much needed. <laughs> right? Honestly. It, totally. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so I, I, I'm just a creator at heart and I like to create things and solve problems. And, you know, I think that's really what I'm trying to do with this book too. So, so there's, there's always something going on with my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about how Viva's, well, she's running around. She's having all these emotions now. Can you just kind of give us a quick update of what she's doing? Like, I know virtual learning is, is tough, but yeah. with, you know, during COVID and everything, has she found a hobby that she really likes or... Um, 
Not really. I mean, the, like I said, the problem is she's she's super hyper aware, you know. And mm-hmm. if you saw in the book, she's got a YouTube. Well, we were doing it her YouTube channel for a little bit because, um, <laughs> you know, because she could read, and it was it was always so amazing the people that she could read at such a young age. Um, so I mean, academically, she's not super challenged. You know what I mean? Because she's already kind of got a lot of it figured out. So she's really, <laughs> if anything, turning to gaming. You know, just a lot of <laughs> gaming, which. I feel terrible as a parent, but like, what are you going to do? You know? Oh no, she's the Minecraft stuff like that. Yeah. I don't let her into that stuff yet, but like, Oh, that's right. I mean, she's like, like, yeah, she's five, but like, you know, but like PBS and all those, they have a lot, you know, even with a fire tablet and whatever, there's a lot of really great free games on there. And like, for the most part, they're pretty, um, they're pretty informative and educational. And I think like me, she's got a bit of a like scientific creative brain. So like, she's good at like the little engineering games of building things. And so she's definitely exercising her brain for sure, you know? Yeah. But in terms of that, it's just like the three of us, you know, it's just like. (laughs) And in the book, you mentioned that she sings. Does she still enjoy singing? Uh, Yeah. She actually really loves singing. So you're right. She does sing around the house. Um, She loves to dance. And that's a pity actually, because she just started ballet. um, And hip hop right before the pandemic. Yeah. So she'd had something like four lessons. Oh no. Um, and ironically, she was actually really, really good at it. And I don't know if it's because she naturally is more comfortable on her toes or what, uh, but the dancing was giving her much better balance, weirdly, which I didn't think that it would. And unfortunately, she can't do it now. And again, she just doesn't like to do anything over Zoom. So she refuses even to do the virtual <laughs> dance. Box. So I'm just like, please develop a vaccine and let's go back to our normal lives. Because, you know, it's what? more so for her than anything else. She just, she needs to be back out in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, she's great. You know, she's, like I said, she's a, she's a smart kid. She's whip smart. She's funny. That's probably a hobby she's developed. She's really trying out one-liners on me and her dad lately. Which is- <laughs> one-liners. Oh. oh yeah. She's, she's giving me the old school, like, get it. Yakety yak kind of thing. I'm like, where are you getting this comedy from? I'm like, what are you watching? That's great. Yeah. So she's, she's fine. She'll cut, she'll come out on top. You know, she's, she's a fighter. She's a warrior for sure. Definitely. Sure sounds like it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your and Viva's story with us. We yeah, really absolutely. appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of yeah. course. And like I said, for those of you who are listening, just look down in the show notes and we'll have the link to Alicia's book and all of her social media so you can get in touch with her there and know where to find her book as well. So absolutely. thank you, Alicia. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, ladies. And a lot of fun. Special thanks to Alicia for talking with us today. See the show notes for links to her book and social media. Please follow us on Instagram at outonalim.pc and Facebook at outonalimpodcast to get visuals for each episode and sneak peeks for upcoming ones. You can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. And please subscribe and write a review. You can also email us any questions or comments about what you want to hear at outonalim.pc at gmail.com. For today's episode, music was by Evan and Jack, produced by Alyssa, Alina, and Brittany, editing by Michael, and sponsored by Open, Orthotic and Prosthetic National Network.